word of prayer and then just pick up where we left off last week. Father, we are grateful for our time together tonight. We're grateful for your love, Lord, and we're grateful every day for your son, Jesus. But I, I, I hope that over these next week and a half, that uh, week and a half, two weeks, we'll really, Lord, just meditate upon, we'll, we'll just take some time to sit and, and, and to chew on the story of Christmas. Not just a baby born in Bethlehem, but a Savior born in Bethlehem. A Savior who would live a sinless life and then after 33 years would go and take our place, substituting Himself on the cross in our place, taking, Lord, I I would be thankful that You did that for anyone, but Lord, I'm thankful that You did that for me. You, You lifted me off of that cross and You took my place there and You died in my place. You were buried and You rose again. And with that, you, you proved that you were God. You proved that you could do all that you had said you would do. And you proved that you had life and you offered life. And as we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we believe in Him. Not just believe intellectually, but we place our faith in Him. And what He did on that cross, Lord, as we repent of our sin and believe by faith, You save us. We are born again. We become children of God. And I'm thankful for that. So, Lord, this year, as we look to, as we, I think about our, our, our display up here on the left side, Lord, as we look to the manger, may we not fail to see the cross and then even look beyond that and to see the empty tomb of all that you did for us, Lord. But it all started right there. So we're thankful. And help us, Lord, to really worship you, Lord Jesus, our Savior, in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are at the point of... Ann, did you get your notes? Miss Ann over here needs a copy of those on the far left side over here. Scott? Um, we're, we're at the part of purposes of communion. Purposes of communion. So certainly more could be presented, but there are at least four uh, special purposes or spiritual purposes that are accomplished by the communion feast of remembrance. Now, the first one we're going to look at is just the remembrance of the person of Christ. When we do communion, we're remembering the person of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 and 25, Paul relayed the words of Christ as, as he said of the bread, he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he said of the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, also, uh, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus clearly stated the purpose of the meal was remembrance. This is what the, the communion is all about. It is a memorial. It is a remembrance time. So the first, pur- first purpose of communion is remembrance. It's setting aside specific times when God's people gather and recall Christ's sacrifice for sinners in the eating of the bread and the drinking from the cup. In the busy lives we live on earth, how important it is for us as Christians never to lose sight of what Jesus did to atone for our sins. That's, the, that's I think, the shame. I think that's... You know, Satan works in a, a lot of ways, right? Tracy, we were talking about that tonight, about how Satan is working and the, all the ways that he works in trying to hinder what God is doing. But I tell you what, in America, I think one of his most successful tactics is, is busyness. Busyness. You know, one of the things that I try to do as a pastor, and, 
you know, I didn't always do this in ministry. In 24 years of ministry now, um, my schedule would be so full. And what I'm learning to do is to schedule in flexibility. So that, so that I'm not always just run, 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 run. you got to have times where you can sit and think and meditate. Man, we don't, we don't sit enough. We don't just slow down and be, sti- be still and know that I am God. Be still. There's a, there's a principle there that will be helpful for us, especially in this hectic season of Christmas. How, how many of you, it's busier this time of year? Does it get busy? I know y'all get busier because here's what happens. It, does, it gets less busy here. It gets less busy in the office. There's less phone calls. There's less in and, in and out traffic because you're, you're busy. Everybody's busy. You're doing stuff. And so it gets quieter around here during the day. But on top of everything that we're already doing, our lives get busier because we're planning for family coming in and, and uh, all the things that go with Christmas. So it gets busy. Yes. That's good. That's that's a great, that's that's truth right there. I'd never heard that before. But yeah, bound under Satan's yoke, busy. Absolutely. If he can keep you busy, keep you from slowing from slowing down to pray, keep you from slowing down to study, keep you from slowing down to meditate, to memorize, to remember. So it's a time for us to slow down in this busy time of our lives. Perhaps knowing our tendency to be so uh, so quickly forgetful, aren't we? Don't we forget things pretty quickly? I mean, we're, we're, we've been, we're, being, we're, being, uh, we're being trained that way today. So the news cycle in America, I mean, when bad things happen, they used to, we used to talk about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. Now it's 20 minutes. I mean, really, I'm not, that's almost not an exaggeration. Bad things happen, and the news cycle is so fast because they're so concerned with the clicks on social media and their news cycle. All this stuff is to get the reactions and then move to the next thing. And so we don't, we don't even process, we don't even process the things that are going on. We're just so busy. We're quick to forget. And when you get busy, you forget. Anybody get a little forgetful when things get really busy? You, 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 you know, you're running, you're doing, and you go, oh man, I forgot all about it. And I got it on my calendar even. And I forgot about that. Uh, so we have a tendency to forget. So the Lord Jesus made the provision of his table lest we forget. He said, don't forget. Don't forget what I did. Don't forget what my body was, what was done to my body for you. Don't forget my blood that was shed for you. You remember that. I mentioned Sunday. The Lord never once in Scripture asked us to remember His birthday. Never once. And yet we, we make this big, and we should make a big deal of Christmas. But a lot of what we make of Christmas isn't necessarily, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm speaking as a country here, is not necessarily about Jesus and the birth of a Savior. It's about a, a tree or a fake fat guy or, uh, sorry, um, or, uh, you, you know, uh, presents or, you know, it's, it's about everything but what it's really about. We get caught up in that and we have to be careful. So he says, do this in remembrance of me. We have someone from France just showed up. <laughs> Voila, voila, voila. You're a French woman, aren't you? I see that. Yeah, I see that. All right. All right, next thing, covenant. Uh, the next thing, the purpose is it's a covenant sign of the New Testament. Covenant sign of the New Testament. 
uh, several references there, Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, 1 Corinthians 11. I think those are all in your notes. Uh, Matthew 26, 28, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Mark 14, 24, and he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Luke 22, 20, likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as, often as you drink it and remember to me. In every instance in the New Testament, when the Lord's Supper is presented, Jesus proclaimed that his blood is the sign of the new covenant. This is the covenant we read, we read about in the New Testament. And we're not living under the old covenant. We're not under the Mosaic law. We're not under the law of Moses. We're now under the, a new covenant of God, a covenant of grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? It's a new covenant. So each time in Scripture that God gave a covenant to His people, He gave a sign to signify that covenant. There was always a sign. With Noah, He made a covenant that the earth would never again be destroyed by water, and He gave what? As a sign. A sign of the covenant. What was it? Rainbow. Rainbow. Uh, He made a covenant with Abraham to make him a great nation. He gave a covenant sign there. What was the covenant sign with Abraham? Somebody said it. Circumcision, absolutely. The Lord gave the law of Moses. Then he gave uh, and gave him and Israel the covenant sign of... Do anybody know what the covenant sign of there was with the law of Moses? The Sabbath. The Sabbath. He gave the Sabbath. That was a covenant sign. That was what then they would remember the Sabbath. And, and as New Testament believers, we see that the communion table represents the blood of Christ, which is the sign of the new covenant uh, in Him. All right, next thing, display of this uh, sacrificial death of Christ. It's a display of the sacrificial death of Christ. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. We proclaim this. When we take communion, when we, when we do this, we are, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. And, 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 and what, what do we know happens then? His, 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 uh, his death, His burial, His resurrection. But it was, it was through this that we can have life. The table of communion is then, above all, a proclamation of the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptist and godly Christians of all traditions celebrate Easter and the resurrection well. We, we, do, we do Resurrection Sunday. We do a good job with that. I think, I think you know, and it's getting, here's the, here's the problem. Well, I don't like to use the word. I'll use it. It makes it easier. I don't like the word. I don't like the term Easter. I just don't like it. There's things I've read. I just don't like maybe where that comes from, where I believe that comes from. not a fan of that. I like Resurrection Sunday. I like that phrase. It captures what it's all about. But even, you know, Easter, Resurrection Sunday is becoming more and more commercialized. Folks, if here's the two things you can count on. If the government gets in it, they're going to mess it up, right? And if, and, if, and if businesses get into it, they're going to mess it up. Because if they can figure out a way to make a dollar, you know, Valentine's Day. You know how much money is spent on Valentine's junk? So the one day a year to tell somebody you love them? I mean, if, I, if I've got on that one day, do all these things, for Gina to believe I love her. If I don't do it, I don't get caught up in it. I don't get caught up in it. We just, we don't make a big deal of it. We never have. I told her when we got married, I said, honey, I love you. 
If it changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> terrible joke. That's a terrible joke. Terrible. I love her, and I tell her I love her. I probably don't tell her enough, but we don't need a, we don't need a date. But that's commercializing. And so anything that be, can be capitalized on and made a dollar out of it, they're going to do that. And we see it with what's happened with Christmas, and, and we certainly see more and more of that with um, the candy and the cards and the eggs and the rabbits and the, all these different things that have nothing to do with the resurrection of our Savior. Nothing. Um, we know how to do the Resurrection Sunday well. We know how to rejoice and proclaim that Jesus is alive. This we should and must do. Uh, for the world needs to know that we serve a risen Savior, not a dead Savior. Look, if Jesus were still in that grave, we wouldn't be celebrating Resurrection Sunday. We wouldn't even be celebrating Christmas. Because who's going to remember a dead Savior? We're not going to be celebrating His birthday. If He didn't come out of that grave, we're wasting our time here tonight. Okay, So remembering His birth is ridiculous if he didn't rise from the dead. Uh, but we celebrate and we worship a risen Savior, and we need the world to know that, and we proclaim that. Uh, we could say that the resurrection put God's exclamation point on our salvation. Romans 1.4, uh, And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. See that right there? Declared to be the Son of God. He, he, he said he was, and you know what? He put an exclamation on that, and he proved it when he came out of that grave. There's no question who Jesus was. He was not just a man that the Spirit of God came upon and worked in his life. He was not just a man. He was all man, but he was all God. And so he, he declared and proved that he was God when he rose from the dead. Then we are called on to live in His resurrection power in our lives. So the resurrection is an ongoing remembrance and reality for every born-again Christian. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 speaks of this power to live. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, the, the, the power of God in the resurrection and the power of God that is at work in our lives today, amen? He's at work. However, sometimes we seem to pass over too quickly that Jesus endured on the cross before the empty tomb became reality. We, 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 we do. We just, and it's, again, it's out of busyness. It's not that we intentionally do that, but, you know, I mentioned last week about what if, when we take a meal, what if we just stopped and thought about before we ate? This is, this is, even had a little communion thing there. As we remember, this is, this is his body. When I eat, I'm, I'm thinking about the body of Jesus that was broken for me. And when I drink something, and, and I think about this is his blood that was shed for me. Not, not in a cannibalistic, creepy way, but remembering the body and the blood of Jesus. We, we cannot think of that too much. Amen. We cannot. We just can't. So we, we, we should do that. We should spend time, whatever creative way, to, to spend that time thinking about what Jesus did for, for us. This is why Paul said that in the communion observance, we proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. Jesus gave the Lord's Supper as a time to remember His suffering as He paid for our redemption from sin and gave us eternal life. It becomes a time to recall the suffering before the success, the tears before the triumph, and the cross before the crown. 
Revelation 1.5 is representative of numerous New Testament verses when it declares Jesus Christ, He loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. It was the shedding of His blood. It was His blood that covers our sin. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. Do I want Jesus? Did I, would, would I want God to have to die? No, but I'm sure glad that He did in the context of this because of what He did for us. Amen. It is the blood of Jesus that saves every sinner. His blood that was shed at His death on Calvary. When we understand, having great conversation even tonight, when we understand, we hear the gospel, we hear the gospel, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. When we hear the gospel, the truth of who Jesus was, who we are, we're lost, we're hopeless. We're hope- There's nothing that we can do. I got a better chance of jumping to the moon than I do of getting to heaven without Jesus. Amen. So there's no hope. There's no hope. And yet the Lord, in, 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 because of His great love, He demonstrated His love for us in that He died for us while we were yet sinners. He didn't wait on us to, to decide we wanted to, to get right with Him, that, that, that He pressed on our heart and then go, oh, well, you want to get saved now? I'll make a way for you. No, he made a way 2,000 years ago. And so today when we hear the truth of the gospel and the Holy Spirit works through the Word of God, it's the Word of God and the work of God. As the Holy Spirit of God then speaks, we hear the truth that he died for me. He was buried and he rose again. And when when I acknowledge my sin and my hopelessness and I confess him and I call on him and I place my faith in Jesus... He saves me. That's what he says in John chapter, uh, what is it, John 10. No, no, Romans 10. Romans 10. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, the verse says, thou might be saved. Does it say that? It says, oh, you could, it's possible you could be saved. Did it say that? What does it say, Miss Trish? Thou will. I like the King James right here. Thou shalt be saved. It's a promise. We can know, we can know, we can know. I mean, people say, well, you know, I, I, I think I've shared this. First time, first time I heard the gospel, I'd been in church. I'd, I'd been to a Presbyterian church. I heard about Jesus. Never once did I hear he died for me. Never once did I hear he, you know, he, he died and was buried and rose again to, for me. He did that for me that, and that he wanted to save me. I never heard that. So I'm 13 years old, and I go and I told you all the story of going to play basketball, and, I, and, and this guy shares the gospel with me. And I remember as we sat down to talk, he says, well, let me ask you a question. He said, if you died today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? And I said, well, I hope I'd go to heaven. Well, let me tell you, folks, Christianity is not a hope-so faith. It's a no-so faith. And the scripture is very clear. These things I've written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Look, when we understand what he did for us and we confess to him our sinfulness and that he is, I've said it already, he is the only way and we place our faith in him. We turn from doing it our way and we turn to Jesus by faith. Thou shalt be saved. Glory! Mm. I like Wednesday even better, man. I feel freer on Wednesday night. 
If I don't get through with this, y'all, it's okay. I don't have, it's not like I got a flight plan that I got to take off and land it in one night. But I do on Sunday mornings a lot of times. So I enjoy, the, I enjoy this on Wednesday nights a little more. I have a little freedom. So hence we are called to, uh, we're called on to remember with great passion his death at the table of the Lord. Afterwards, as we leave the Lord's Supper, where we reflect upon his death, we are to go forth and live in the power of his resurrection. Amen. So we, we should, I mean, whether we do communion every, 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 every service, we ought to leave here and we ought to live our lives in the power of, of the resurrection. We ought to live our, power, our lives in the power of, of what he has done in our lives. And we ought to, when, when you go to the, when you go to the, when you go, especially on Sunday after church or Wednesday night, if you go somewhere, man, if you go to a restaurant or you go to Walmart or Publix, you ought to be, man, people ought to be like, man, are you on something? Are, 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 what, what you been, why are you in here getting cookies? What you, what you been doing? You know, it ought to be that because you ought to be, you ought to be, you, you ought to be a little more fired up. But we ought to be fired up every day for the Lord. Amen. Yes. We, we shouldn't have to have a pep rally to get fired up. We ought to just have to wake up, kick the covers off, and then just go be excited for the Lord because of what He's done for us. Again, we get so busy, caught up. Well, I'm in a hurry. You know, I got to get out. I, you know, I just barely could get my coffee made. Heaven forbid, we're not going to forget our coffee or our phone. We might not have prayer time, might not read the word, but we'll have the coffee and the phone. We'll turn around and come back if we forget the phone. Priorities, amen? Priorities, we ought to be, man, we ought to just go out of here and live our lives in the passion of what God has done for us. Live life with a passion. You go, well, I'm a shy person. Well, I, I'm, I'm, kind, I'm kind of shy. I'm reserved. That's probably a better word. But I don't mind, man, telling people about the Lord. I want to look for those opportunities. I shared this. You, you ought to go make somebody's day. I told, I told y'all one time, I, I think I told you the story. Jesse was with us. We went after church. We stopped at a Popeye's. 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 Popeye's chicken in Orange City. And I go in, and the lady in front of us is just being, I don't know if it was a lady or a guy, she's just giving the, the, the girl at the checkout, the counter there, just taking the order, just giving her down the road. Just, I, and you can see it. The girl's just having a terrible day. And I said, I'm going to show Jesse. I'm going to show him. I'm going to model something from him. And so my goal when I went up to that counter was to, to make her day better. I didn't know it was going to make her day. I wanted, but that was my goal, was to make her day better. Why would I want to interact with somebody and make their day worse? Why would I, I want them to remember me and go, you know, I was this jerk. He went, I mean, this pudgy, ugly guy with blonde hair. He came in and went, what a jerk. If I could see him again. You know, why, why would we want to do that? I want to, I want to leave there. I want the next customer to reap the benefit of that. So we go up there, and I mean, first thing I do, when I said, hey, good afternoon. How are you doing? I said, yeah, I'm the t- it's terrible. You had, you're having to work on Sunday. That's so terrible. And I just went on. I said, but you know what? You know, we just talking about, yeah, we just coming from church and the Lord. You know, I'm talking about that. And by the time we got done and got our order, she was smiling. She's like, all right, well, see, hope to see y'all again. You know, she was, I thought the next person in line is going to get a, they're going to get a whole different deal than what was greeting me when I got up there, which was, you know. So, man, we ought to live out our faith. Amen? Amen? Let's live it. Time, all right, here's another thing, another purpose of communion. Time of worship and fellowship for Christ, uh, for Christ church. 
It's a time of worship and fellowship for Christ's church. Acts chapter 2, 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. The breaking of bread there is talking about communion. They worshiped together. They took communion together. Verse 47 continues, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I'm going to tell you what. I promise you, they got together. They remembered the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. They had some worship time, and they went out, and they were telling everybody about it. You know how I know they were doing that? I know they were doing that. You know how I know? Because it says the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. It wasn't just a lighthouse. That's sometimes what people go, well, the church is a lighthouse. I had, I had a pastor tell me one time, he said, well, well if people want to get saved, the church is a lighthouse. We're casting a light all around here, and people want to get to the Lord, they can just, they can come here. What? Show me that in Scripture. We're to go out. As you are going, make disciples. As you are going. Everywhere we go, you have an opportunity I don't know if it's the right term. Missionaries might take offense to it, but some have said, I don't know, maybe Spurgeon said that everybody's a missionary going out. I was reading something. I don't remember whether Spurgeon said everybody's a missionary or he took the other stance, but somebody was pushing back on whoever said that. Listen, I think you, whether you go to a foreign field or not, um, we are all missionaries in this community. Amen. We We are. I don't know how you want to look at it. You can look at it or think about it any way you want to. Just go do it, right? Look for opportunities to tell people about Jesus, to tell people what he's done. So another purpose for communion is that it is a time for God's people to worship. We mentioned above that one phrase that describes communion is the Eucharist. We're going to get to that. I hope we'll get to that. I think we're going to get to it right here. Um, while it's true that, that Eucharist is the primary name for communion used by Eastern Orthodox, Oriental Orthodox, Catholics, Anglicans, Presbyterians, and Lutherans, all of whom often attach non-biblical teachings to the observance in some way, Baptists should not be intimidated uh, in seeking to understand the term. Okay, so listen, listen, this, this is fascinating. And we're not going to start calling it the Eucharist, okay? When we do communion, we'll probably never use that term. But I want you to understand it, and I want you to understand what it means. They have a different meaning than what the Scriptures actually mean of it, but it's a scriptural word. So Eucharist is the Greek word, Eucharistio, which means to give thanks. When it says that he took and gave thanks, that phrase, gave thanks, is Eucharistio. That's the word. It means to give thanks. So when we, when we give thanks, it's, that's what this word, that's what Eucharist means. So again, in, in every New Testament passage describing the Lord's Supper, we see that Jesus gave thanks, Eucharist, to God the Father for the bread and the cup. Therefore, when we meet to remember the Lord's death at the table, we give thanks. We give thanks for His life, His death, and His resurrection. At its core, Christian worship is giving thanks, praise, and honor to God for all He is and for all He has done. 
Communion then embraces the aspect of thanksgiving to God in our collective worship. So while Baptists typically use the term communion or the Lord's Supper or the breaking of bread to identify this ordinance, it is a worthy endeavor to understand the New Testament meaning behind the expression, the Eucharist. So we should understand what that word means. Just don't let that freak you out. So now you can go, oh, yeah, okay. Still, the way they do it is wrong. Speaking specifically of the Catholics. That's, that's wrong. And we've, we've already studied different ways it's done. And so many different faiths do things that are they're, they're extra biblical. They take a little bit of the Bible and then they add to it. They do this or it becomes that. Look, when you pervert the truth, it's no longer the truth. When you, when you put, it's like Stetson, I love what he said. If you add anything to the gospel, it's no longer the saving gospel. And people have said, well, so what if it matters? What does it matter if they believe something that's a little different as long as they're believing it? Because you're believing now, you, it's, it's, a, it's not the truth. You've now, because your faith isn't in Jesus Christ as revealed to the Scriptures, it's Jesus Christ that has been created by a man. It's an idol. It's a false religion is what it becomes. So truth is ultimately important, people. It's ultimately important. So don't let that word scare you. I won't be using it. We're, we're going to have communion. We're going to have the Lord's Supper. We're going to break bread on uh, Christmas Eve. We're going to do that. We will, we will be giving the Eucharist. We will be giving thanks, but we will not be observing the Eucharist. All right, you with me? All right. Finally, in conjunction with our corporate worship, the Lord's Supper pictures to us the fellowship of God's saints. Paul wrote about the communion table and said in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. In other words, when we come to the Lord's table, we do not come together as individual grains of wheat, so to speak. We come together as one loaf. In one body, depicting the unity of the saints for which Jesus so fervently prayed in John chapter 17. So whenever we come to the Lord's Supper, we should look at the bread and remember the price that was paid to make, to make us one with every other child of God in the world. No, uh, one, by, one, uh, one by the shed blood and the broken body of Christ. We're one in those things, the shed blood and the broken body. It's through that that we, are, we, we, we can be one. Amen? All right. The, 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 so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to finish to save that last part for when we come back. We will not get to this until 20th, 26th, until the first Sunday, uh, first Wednesday night. We'll pick, so put your notes, fold them, stick them in the back of your Bible so they'll be there. And in it'll be three weeks, we'll come back and we will finish that up then. Because next week is our candlelight service at 7.15. We don't stop till 7.45. That means i got another 15 minutes to go. Okay. Praise God. Y'all thought, what's he doing? All right. Let's, uh, let's, go, let's, let's pick up then. We'll see how far we can go. Final observations on communion. It's going to take a little time, but these are the final observations. 
uh, we, we close our discussion. We're not really closing because it's going to take a little while to get through some of this here. But we close our discussion on communion with a few brief observations of some common questions asked about this ordinance. And so one of the questions would be about the elements. So we started on this last week, and there was some question about it. So here's where we're going to get into the bread and the wine and the juice, and we're going to look at this. So the elements. The Bible describes the elements of the Lord's Supper to be bread and the cup, also described as the fruit of the vine. That's the way the Bible describes it. Though many would differ in their understanding, Baptists generally agree that these two elements refer to unleavened bread. Nobody would argue with that. We as Baptists aren't going to argue with this as a whole anyway. Some that may come in with other traditions may, may think differently. And there, there are people, I'm not, I'm, look, this is not a hill I'm going to die on one way or the other. But when it comes to the bread, we do unleavened bread. Are we going to hell if we, if we used leavened bread, if we used regular bread, if we just brought a loaf in? and you know, would, 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 I don't think the Lord, I think the, the whole purpose is remembering the Lord, okay? But I do think there's some things that we can learn from what He did, the way it was done with Him, and the principles of Scripture that we're going to see, and I think you'll understand why this is. So these two elements refer to unleavened bread and unfermented juice of the grape. Though not an exhaustive explanation, several reasons are put forth for, for each of these claims. Okay, for, starting with the bread. Unleavened bread was eaten in conjunction with the Old Testament of observance of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which followed Passover. All right, so no one would argue with that. We understand that. We understand at Passover they used unleavened bread. We also understand that what the Lord was doing, it was the Passover meal. It was at that time that the Lord got together. They had this, this, this the Last Supper would have been at that time. And it's, it is almost, I'm not going to go definitively, but I would, make, I would say it would be almost 99.99% truth that it was unleavened bread that they were using in that meal, okay? If they did it, then that's probably the way we ought to do it, okay, if it, if it was done that way. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread began the next night after the Passover and celebrated Israel being delivered from bondage in Egypt. Describing that feast, God said in Exodus twelve twenty, You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread, okay? So that goes all the way back to the, the, these feasts that, that uh, the, uh, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It seems reasonably clear that whether the Last Supper was an actual Passover meal or, or not, Jesus instituted His Supper at the time of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Therefore, from a biblical perspective, it is not illogical or unreasonable to conclude that Jesus used unleavened bread as the perfect symbol for His sinless body. One final scripture insight seems uh, convincing in this matter as well. In the Bible, you'll remember this, in the Bible, leaven or yeast is often symbolic of what? Of sin. Now, if it's symbolic of sin in Scripture, we probably don't want to use that when it's representative of the sinless body of Jesus. Amen? Does that make sense? Okay, so that, that's one of the thoughts here. Just one example of this is in 1 Corinthians 5, 8. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This clearly indicates that metaphorically, leaven refers to sin and wickedness. So we, we shouldn't do that. A reasonable question to ask in this context would then be, 
Could leavened bread be a fitting symbol of the broken body of Jesus, which Peter describes as a lamb without blemish and without spot? Though most would not be dogmatic on this issue for the foregoing reasons, as well as several others, most Baptists use some form of unleavened bread in the communion service. We do, we have, and we will. That's what we're going to do. We're going to use unleavened bread for that and for these reasons. Okay, a cup, the cup. Alongside the use of unleavened bread, the vast majority of Baptists also use unfermented wine, i.e. grape juice, as the in the communion meal. Again, there are many arguments and counter-arguments on this topic among Christians of goodwill, but most Baptist congregations exercise this judgment based on biblical as well as pragmatic reasons. Number one, from a scriptural standpoint, it is... It, it, it is interesting to note that the common Greek word for wine is oinos, O-I-N-O-S. Uh, and, the, and that common word for wine is not used in the Greek text of the New Testament passages where the Lord's Supper is explained. That word isn't used. Okay, Though some modern English translations render the terms cup and fruit of the vine as wine... This is, not a, this is not a translation of the text, but rather an interpretation. Though as many serious biblical scholars have demonstrated, the biblical word for wine in both Old Testament and New Testament age can mean either fermented or unfermented wine, depending on the context. Yet in the case of the communion meal, many Baptist expositors note that the Holy Spirit did not direct the inspired writers to, uh, to, use, to even use the word oinos, wine, in these passages. So you, you see that with the word. If the word were, were used there of wine, it could mean either. That word that would mean either isn't even used. It's used in there's much broader sense. So thus, a reasonable case can be made that fermented wine was not used at the Last Supper because fruit of the vine is a much more inclusive term that very likely refers to unfermented juice of the grape. Okay, there's one thing. Number two. A second argument puts forth the same idea as used concerning unleavened bread. Clearly, there are arguments on both sides, but it seems to many that the Old Testament command for the Israelites to purge out the leaven during the Feast of Unleavened Bread would seemingly include the purging of fermented wine as well. This is because the same organism that causes yeast uh, to leaven bread also makes grape or other fruit juices to ferment. You follow? If you understand how they make beer or different alcoholic beverages, there's a fermenting process. It's, there's something that has to be added to that. There's a yeast that comes into that and it causes, it's the same process as yeast uh, causing leavened bread. So this yeast and stuff then causes the, the, the juice to ferment and then what it puts off is the alcohol. The Meridian, uh, I'm sorry, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines yeast this way. A type of fungus that is used in making alcoholic drinks, such as beer and wine, and in baking to help make dough rise. Thus, the same question can be made as with unleavened bread. Can fermented wine be a fitting symbol of the sinless blood of Jesus? I would argue that it, that it shouldn't be used in, if, for those very reasons right there. If it's nothing but symbolic... If you're going to have unleavened bread for the reason that it representative of sin, you have the same thing going on in a fermented drink, an alcoholic beverage, and, and so therefore it would not be representative of the sinlessness of Christ. The writer of Hebrews wrote, wrote of Jesus' blood, Hebrews 9.14, 
How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Sinless blood. We wouldn't want to use something that doesn't is not symbolic of sinlessness and newness. Furthermore, from a scriptural perspective, we must make two final observations. The, biblical, um, the, the Bible routinely calls drunkenness sin and even calls fermented wine itself a substance that deceives people. Proverbs 20 verse 1 is but one example. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Yet Jesus made the statement in the gospel accounts in the communion, uh, of the communion meal, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine, from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Matthew 26, 29. Is, is it possible to think that Jesus would promise to offer fermented, potentially intoxicating wine in heaven? Is it better to consider that we, he will rather offer the pure, fresh, unfermented juice of the grape? This is especially relevant in light of his own statement, Behold, I make all things new. Fermented wine is certainly not new. Okay? Amen? Finally, on that note, from the, pers- uh, from the practical uh, viewpoint, most Baptist leaders recognize the possibility of recovering alcoholics being in the congregation. Therefore, even if for purely pragmatic reasons the vast majority of Baptist congregations would serve only grape juice or unfermented wine in the uh, communion service. Of course, we know that there are other viewpoints on, on such topics as these, and we should endeavor not to make disagreements in this area a point of contention among fair-minded Christians of goodwill. Amen? Amen. Does that make sense? Okay. I hope you found that helpful. We will we'll wrap the that makes it easier. It's twenty six after, so we're gonna we're gonna we are gonna stop right there. And there's just a couple more things really that we'll look at, um, and we'll go into the next section. Action makes it easy. That'll be a very easy transition. All right. So we want to look at prayer requests now. Our prayer requests and praises.